Well, good morning. My name is Jeff Wilkins, and I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. I'm in your presence, and my prayer and my hope and even my confidence is today that you will experience the love of Christ through the warm embrace of his people here at Zion. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the same parable we looked at last week. It begins on page 9 of your worship guide, or if you would like to use a pew Bible, it's on page 818. Now, last week we started a new sermon series on Jesus' kingdom parables. And I mentioned that Jesus told parables not to be these engaging stories about the everyday and the ordinary that would keep the crowds coming. He, he didn't tell the parables to sort of illustrate what the crowds already mostly knew, but just needed a little push over the, over the hill to get it. Jesus told parables to get people thinking. He told parables in order to sneak in through the back door of his hearers' hearts and minds, to critique and to dismantle their preconceived understanding of the kingdom of God and to show them the true nature of God's kingdom. One pastor Put it like this. He said, parables are like hollow point bullets. Their, their entrance is relatively small, but once they enter into something, they explode. Jesus' parables are intended to explode inside of us. They are intended to create a crisis inside the listener. And then this pastor says, in fact, if they don't create a crisis, you haven't heard them. Well, certainly, our parable this morning creates a crisis. Hear now the word of God from Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed. And some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now skip down to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the king.
kingdom and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty and in another 30. Friends, there is my opinion, there is your opinion, and then there is the very word of God. We have just heard the word of God. We should ask that he would teach us this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, there's nothing more we need this morning than to hear you. So we would ask, Lord, that you would give us ears. Give us ears to hear. Lord, allow us to behold you in your beauty, in your glory. Soften our hearts and make us more like Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, <laughs> What is the crisis that this parable creates? I'd suggest to you that there are more than one crisis. There are actually at least two crises. Last week, we saw the first. Like so many of us, the Jews in Jesus' day expect and they long for the day when God will bring his kingdom to earth. And, and that's good, and that's right. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. But here's the thing. Their expectations, and oftentimes our expectations, about what God's kingdom will look like when God brings it are, are very different than what Jesus announces and embodies and inaugurates in the three and a half so years that he walked the face of the earth. The people expect God's kingdom to come in a blaze of righteous glory, in a movement that will sweep through Israel, crushing their enemies, beginning with the Romans, establishing Jerusalem as the capital of the universe, bringing freedom, justice, and peace wherever it goes, and continuing until the whole world comes under God's righteous rule. But what we saw last week was the kingdom that Jesus describes looks, at best, underwhelming. Much of the seed that the sower sows goes to waste, and, and that which actually takes root well, it's slow growing. 
And the result, as one pastor put it, the suggestion that God's kingdom might come as it were by stealth, this must have seemed very strange. The kingdom Jesus brings isn't like any earthly kingdom anybody has ever seen, anybody has ever experienced. The kingdoms of this world come through military might. They come through war. They come through the exertion of power, through death and destruction. But the kingdom Jesus brings is an upside-down kingdom where the king does not come as a conquering king but as a suffering servant who dies to make his enemies, not only citizens of the kingdom, but children of the king. Jesus' point in this parable is, I'm bringing the kingdom, guys, but I'm not bringing it the way that you expect it to come. And then he says this in verse 9, he who has ears let him hear. If you think about it, what you realize is that in telling this parable, Jesus is actually enacting this parable. He is the sower, and he is sowing the word of the kingdom. And his listeners, which include you and me, are the soils. Which brings us to the second crisis this parable creates. Jesus' parables are not just hollow point bullets. They are also intended to function as mirrors, helping us to see ourselves, revealing our hearts. As such, this parable asks the questions are you listening? Do you really hear what Jesus is saying? How do you know you're really hearing what Jesus is saying? He says, well, let's, let's look at the soils. Now, those questions, <laughs> they might strike you as a bit off-putting, maybe even Offensive. I mean, you're, you think to yourself, hold on for a minute, Jeff. I mean, look, I'm here, right? I'm at Zion Presbyterian Church. I'm listening to you preach. I've sung the songs. I've prayed the prayers. I've confessed my sin. Well, look closely at our passage. What do verses 19, 20, 22, and 23 tell us? What do they all have in common? Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of God, verse 20, this is the one who hears the word. Verse 22, this is the one who hears the word. Verse 23, this is the one who hears the word. What's my point? Folks, in our parable Jesus isn't contrasting good guys with bad guys. He's not, he's not pitting the good guys over and against the bad guys. He is contrasting true believers with false believers. He is contrasting the religious over and against 
the Christian. And Jesus' assumption was that all four soils stood in that crowd that day. And his assumption today is that in this room, all four soils are present. That's uncomfortable. That's the crisis. And that's how this parable is intended to work. It is a spiritual x-ray designed not only to challenge our understanding of how Jesus brings his kingdom into our lives and into the world, but also to get us to ask the question, do I really hear what Jesus is saying? Am I really listening? Well, let's answer that question by thinking through the four soils. Soil number one, verse 19, any, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, what's going on here? Well, Jesus is describing what we could call hard-hearted hearers. And by hard heart, I do not mean that this person or these people are particularly evil, are particularly bad. They're not like the villains that you see on TVs or in the movies. It's just that the word of the kingdom that they hear never penetrates their hearts. It bounces off their hearts like a rubber ball bounces off the asphalt. They're like the person that James describes in James chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, at once forgets what he looks like. It's uncomfortable. This person might have grown up in the church. This person may have been catechized. She may have had perfect attendance at Sunday school, but the word never penetrates their hearts. The word never makes it past their ears. They're like the guy who dates the same woman for years and years and years, but never asks her to marry him. He enjoys the company. He enjoys the conversation, but he will not commit. Last week I mentioned the story, the interaction between King David and Nathan the prophet. You remember, Nathan comes to David and he tells him this story about a guy who's, who's really rich and he steals his neighbor, his poor neighbor's sheep so that he can feed a traveling guest. And, and David is absolutely enraged. He is furious. And then Nathan drops the hammer. Remember, he says, you are the man. And how does David respond? And he's convicted. He is, he is cut to the heart. He says, you are right. I am the man. God have mercy on me. Folks, the hard-hearted person doesn't really ever experience conviction of sin. It's not that he never feels bad for what he does, or she never feels bad about what she doesn't do, but at the end of the day, he or she shrugs their shoulders and thinks, ah, no big deal, no one's perfect. 
in preparation for this morning, I listened to Sinclair Ferguson's sermon on this passage. And he asks a pretty penetrating question. He says, how do pathways become pathways? He said, well, it's because over years and years and years, people walk a path. Animals walk a path. Carts roll over a path. And then he says this. This might mean that those who have most heard the teaching of the word of the kingdom may actually have the hardest hearts. It's uncomfortable. Beloved, there is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There's a difference between being around Jesus and being united to Christ by faith. It's a very sobering thought. And Jesus would say to us, he who has ears, let him hear. Then there's soil number two, verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. If the first soil is the hard-hearted listener, this soil can be described as the shallow-hearted listener. These people hear the word of the kingdom and, and immediately they get excited about Jesus. They receive the message with joy. And you think, well, isn't joy a, a true mark of saving faith? And the answer is yes, it is. Yes, it is. But what Jesus is saying in this passage is that joy by itself is not evidence of true saving faith. What do I mean? Jesus says that initially these people have joy. There is an initial burst of enthusiasm. But when the heat comes, when things get tough, when they start catching flack at the office because they go to church, when they lose their job, when they when they can't get pregnant, when you, you, you fill in the blank. These people walk away from Jesus and from his body, the church. Why? Well, Jesus tells us. It's because this person has no root in himself. This person has no root in herself. And what Jesus is saying in this parable is... I never really knew him. I never really knew her. Because faith that is temporary isn't true faith. Tim Keller puts it like this. He said, they want a blesser, not a savior. They want a sugar daddy, not a king. They want help and relief, not salvation. 
They think their primary problem is that they are sufferers in need of a solution, not sinners in need of a savior. And then he says this, he says, they received the word of God with joy, but they were not convicted of sin. They received the word of God with joy, but they did not, but it did not lead them to repentance. In other words, they want God's gifts. They just don't want God. A number of years ago, I remember hearing a lecture about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in New England who lived during the time of the First Great Awakening, which began around 1730. And there was a whole lot of enthusiasm with this awakening. There was a whole lot of emotion. And so, so Edwards spent some time thinking, and he spent some time praying, and he spent some time studying. And as a result, he wrote a book called The Religious Affections. And in The Religious Affections, one of the things he says is that the difference between a religious person and a Christian is that a religious person finds God useful, but a Christian finds God beautiful. A religious person finds God useful, a, a Christian finds God beautiful. Shallow-hearted hearers find God useful for a season, but they don't find God beautiful. Now, the fact of the matter is that most of us, when we come to Christ, especially if you come to Christ later in life, you come aware of your own brokenness, of your own need, of your own sins. And, and even the way we talk about conversion, coming to Christ, you're a sinner. I need my sin, sins forgiven. We talk about heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. And so oftentimes we are drawn to Christ because of what he can do for us. We, we are drawn to Christ because of what he can give us. But over time, as you grow up into Christ, something happens. You begin to love him less and less for what he will give you and more and more just because of who he is. And one of the ways you know this is happening is when you walk through difficult times. When you experience tribulation and persecution. And you persevere. But the shallow-hearted people, when, when, when God uses his usefulness, usefulness, when things begin to go south in their lives, they, they turn their back on God and they just sort of drift away. And what that tells us is that the shallow-hearted person never really entered into the kingdom of God. What they wanted was they wanted God to enter into their kingdom. He who has ears, let him hear. Got to pause. Got to take a break. Got to take a breath. Because these are, these are difficult words. They're, they're unsettling. But here's what you have to see in the words of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When Christ calls you to himself, he calls you to come and die. 
Jesus said as much in Mark 8, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But those words come with a promise, with a great promise. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus can make this glorious promise to us because he took up his cross and he died. But after three days in the tomb, Jesus was raised to new life. And what that means is that if we look to him in faith, yes, there will be suffering. There will be heartbreak. There will be hurt. But there ultimately will be glory. As the Apostle Paul puts it, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He who has ears, let him hear. There's a third soil. We see in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. If, if we wanted to give this hearer a label, we could say that he has divided heart hearing. These people hear the word, and it appears to take root. They, they, they seem to endure. They, they seem to persevere. They, they don't walk away, but they are plagued. By thorns, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And as a result, Jesus tells us that they are unfruitful. If we can call shallow-hearted hearers consumer Christians, we can call hard-hearted or divided-hearted hearers compartmentalized Christians. What I mean is, is that these people are good people. They are religious people. They've made a profession of faith. They go to church. But the fact is, they only want God to rule part of their lives. But there are other areas that are hands-off. What do I mean? Well, they like what the Bible has to say about grace. And they like what the Bible has to say about fellowship or about uh, forgiveness, they, they like the community that the, that the church provides and they look forward to the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. But they don't want anyone, even God, to tell them how they need to think about their money. They don't want anybody, even God, to tell them how to think about their time or how they fill their minds or with how they think about their sexuality, or again, fill in the blank. I once had a, a very, very difficult conversation. It was, it was unbelievable. It was, it was with a professing Christian who was sleeping with a woman who wasn't his wife. 
it was very uncomfortable. We went round and round. Toward the end of the conversation, this person said to me, well, I'm not going to change, and Jesus is just going to have to deal with it. Jesus is about grace. He's just going to have to forgive me. Folks, I don't know this person's heart, but that sounds an awful lot like a divided heart to me. I'll let Christ in so far, but that's it. He who has ears, let him hear. Of course, there's one more soil, the good soil, the receptive soil. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. Beloved, what Jesus is saying in this parable is that real hearing bears the fruit of a transformed life. Real hearing bears the fruit of repentance, faith, and obedience, followed by repentance, Faith and obedience, followed by repentance, faith, and obedience. Real hearing bears the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And real hearing bears the fruit of perseverance to the end. Of course, it takes time for seed to grow into a seedling, and time for a seedling to grow into a fruit-bearing plant. And that's important to keep in mind, because as we saw last week, the kingdom growing process isn't instantaneous. It's not like a light switch. It's like grass. It's like a sower who goes out to sow. It takes a lifetime. And, and in fact, as, as the Apostle John tells us, it won't be complete until we see Jesus face to face. We are works in progress. It's very important to keep in mind. But this process begins the moment you become a believer. One commentator says this about the good soil. He says, to be a disciple of the kingdom means hearing and remaining focused on the message of the kingdom in such a way that one is defined by it. The key to spiritual formation is the willingness to listen, the practice of the discipline of listening and responding appropriately to the received words. In other words, it's listening that bears the fruit not of perfection, but of repentance, faith, and obedience. Beloved, there's, there's one last thing to say. Soils don't change themselves. Soils don't till the ground and get rid of rock. Soils don't weed themselves. That's the work of the sower who in our parable is Jesus. 
What do you need to know about the sower? You need to know that he did not come to do his own will, but he listened to his father, and he did what his father desired. The sower, when tempted, resisted temptation. And not just the temptations in the wilderness, but his whole life could be characterized as a temptation to, to turn away from God, to take, to take things in his own hands. He resisted temptation. He didn't just experience tribulations and persecutions. I mean, everybody bailed on him. His best friends turned their back on him. But more than that, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And he wasn't distracted by the good things this world has to offer or its promise of, of power and comfort and fame. But he set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing he was going to die. That's our sower. He does that for us. Now here, listen to the promise that the sower makes to all who look to him in faith. This comes from Ezekiel 36. It's one of my favorite passages. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What's the dominant pronoun? I. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. What this means is that because God is at work in you to both will and work for his good pleasure, you and I who look to Christ in faith can work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He who has ears, let him hear. Pray with me. Father, Son, and Spirit, these are um, these are hard words. And yet we know that you speak them because you are love. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our sin, that you would convict us of our hard-heartedness, that you would convict us of our shallow hearing, that you would convict us of our divided hearts. But I also pray that you would convict us of your grace, of your love, your kindness, of your forgiveness. That you didn't come for the righteous, but you came for sinners. 
And that what you want from us this morning is that we would receive your word, that we would hear your word, and that we would respond to it with repentance and faith and obedience. Lord, I pray that you give us the ears to hear. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.